If I was any kind of decent podcasting host, I might have realized last week, actually two weeks ago, that I misnumbered the episodes because it was only supposed to get to 124, but then I did 124 last week and it's because I skipped 122. So this is a very special time travel edition of the Brother Trucker Book Club podcast. <laughs> and speaking did of... Did you do that just for me because I love Doctor Who? No, but we can now say, yes, I did, and I can just edit that out. What's (laughs) funny is this morning I read the third episode of Sleepless Hollow, so it covers a five-chapter span, and in there is the the joke that I made about Proctor Who. (laughs) I really threw that in there just for you. So, Welcome, listeners, to the 122nd, as far as... (laughs) numerical order goes episode of the brother trucker book club podcast this also happens to be for now the final episode of the show can you believe i've been doing this for 21 months impressive if i wrapped it up at the end of december it would go for the full two years but uh it would just be one too many things on the plate right now and what's more important to me is to get the big flagship podcast off the ground starting next week. Once again, in what promises to be one of the better episodes of this show, we are joined by my lovely wife, Shara. Hello. And uh, this is where we we bat a little bit of cleanup. We're going to talk about different books that I've been meaning to get to on the list over the last several months and uh, some stuff that I have not gotten to, but Shara has. And then a little bit of talk of what we're reading right now and then what the future is going to look like, right? Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll uh, forego the whole ready break bit and just give this one to you raw without any of the fanfare of the episode. Normally <laughs> I do this like ready and break. Yeah. Anyway. So. Well, you just did it. So I guess that counts. Yeah. But it wasn't like inserting the actual sound bites. <laughs> so it's okay. All right, babe. Let's first talk about uh, a book by the lovely and inimitable crystal lichty this book is called uh oh first get caught a stalker's guide to love something like that yes right yes uh i I totally mess up the title i know that it's called first get caught i don't remember what like the subtitle of it is but let me make sure that that's still recording yes it is um i actually introduced the podcast listeners to crystal a couple of weeks ago when i talked about books that you and I have been reading to get ready to homeschool the kids. Oh yeah. And how we went over to Crystal's house and and she gave us the the lowdown on it and then um, a couple of I don't know it might even even have been just a couple of days later I saw that she had a, a novel coming out. Um she and I go not like way back. Um I met her at a writing conference in 06, mm-hmm. I want to say. So back before even her oldest was born. Um, and that's, that's mostly where like our contact has been is, you know, on online talking about, uh, you know, writing and whatnot, but she's agented. She's worked as an editor for some small presses around here in, in Utah County and Salt Lake County. And, uh, so a very accomplished, you know, homeschool teacher and stuff, but a writer in her own right. And she is a huge fan of what the kids on the interwebs call K dramas, as well as as k-pop which i think factors into this book so 
the book sounded interesting and I, I like uh, Crystal's writing style. So I picked up a copy, but I have not gotten to it yet. And Shara has. So Shara, give us the skinny on this book. What's it about? Um, so it's about um, main girl. Oh, was it Abigail? I'm really terrible at remembering character names, but I think it's Abigail and Ben. And um, she is, I'm just looking real quick to make sure that that's actually her name. Yeah. Abigail. Um, she is at a prep school, a really fancy private school. All the rich people go there. Um, she's on scholarship because her mom got a job teaching there. Um, her parents are divorced. She's obviously living with her mom at school. And um, so since she's on scholarship, she's not one of the popular kids. Um, but she has a huge crush on Ben, who's one of the really popular kids. And she keeps this little notebook. Um, she's an artist, so she... Um, I think the way it started, she had done a little sketch of him. And she just... She was trying to get everything right about him, like get his get his eyes right and get his expressions right. And so she ended up drawing him in her notebook like multiple <laughs> times. And she would she would write down little things about him too, like, oh, today like he's wearing this and um he had this for lunch. And so she she ends up having this stalker journal oh boy. <laughs> of of Ben. And um Do you remember ever being that obsessed about anybody in high school? Oh no. Yeah, no, uh, me me neither, totally. Oh <laughs> I mean like not to the point of like keeping a stalker journal. <laughs> I may have doodled a couple of guys' names in my notebook, but that's about the extent oh, of it. Body. I'm also not an artist, so I wouldn't have drawn anyone. That would have come out terrible. What if like somebody found your sketchbook of stick figures and was like, Hey, wait just a dang second here. I know this guy. <laughs> anyway, but back to Ben and um, and Abigail, she might be called Abby, whatever. I can't remember. <laughs> you read so many so romance novels. So bad with names. It's basically, you've got the Rick, the Chad, and the Jessica, and that's every single story, right? <laughs> basically. Anyway, so um, they're, they're in the library doing their study groups. Abby's with her group of friends. Ben's with his group of friends. And um, they end up, they end up um, colliding like they're, I think they're both leaving and they end up colliding and Abby's books go flying and she gathers everything up real quick. She's like, she's really embarrassed. I've and, seen that Disney movie. Um, she does, she's like trying not to, you know, Ben's being really nice. His, his, all of his friends are kind of jerks. He's got one guy friend and two girlfriends that are in his group. I think there's a couple others, but those are the main three friends that are talked about in the book is the one guy friend and the two girlfriends. And um, anyway, so they're like making fun of Abby and um, she quick gathers up her stuff and leaves and she gets a ways down the hall and she realizes that her stalker journal dun, is dun, not dun. there. And so she hurries back to the library and can't find it anywhere. And she's freaking out and she tells her best friend. And then um, the this private school has their own special like uh, chat thing like a like, like a, like a IM, chat server like an im yeah client. like an im okay yeah and so um later on in the evening she gets this im from um 
Prescott, what was his name? Prescott Abernathy. And this is a smaller school. Like, you you know, like, everybody else's names, you know? Okay. And she's like, who's this Prescott Abernathy? Extra on Downton Abbey? What the heck is this name? <laughs> anyway, um, so Ben is the one that finds the journal and he starts. He wasn't going to flip through it, but his friends are, like, making, you know, making fun of Abby and blah, blah, blah. And they want to look through it. And so he ends up taking it, takes it back to his room. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll give it back to her tomorrow. He doesn't know who she is. Um, he has a vague idea, but he doesn't really know who she, she is. She doesn't write Ben X Abby inside like hearts in the journal? <laughs> well, she hasn't, he hasn't looked in it yet. Oh, okay. He, he takes it back to his room so that his friends don't look through it. And, you know, something happens in his room with his roommate. And uh, his roommate is his is his best friend that you know is in that little group anyway and something happens and the journal falls open and he sees a sketch of himself and he's like what and so he ends up flipping through it and um he's disturbed but also intrigued (laughs) (laughs) that he doesn't know this girl but she like knows tons of stuff about him like down to what he had for lunch (laughs) he's like i'm put off but i'm turned on (laughs) and well and and the funny thing was, uh, like, the, the thing that caught his interest was how, like, clever and witty the journal was. Like, it wasn't just, like, notes. It, like, <laughs> it was it was funny. It wasn't, wasn't a profile for the FBI. Like, we observed <laughs> the subject consuming yeah, exactly. a Big Mac. It was witty. So her, her humor and her wit comes across in this, in this journal. And so he's curious. And he and his buddy had made up this Prescott Abernathy um, previously, um, and he couldn't be connected back to Ben. So he's like, hmm, like I'm going to message her as Prescott. And, um, cause he wants to, he wants to meet Abby now. And so he, he, he texts her and he's like, um, yeah, so I found your journal and, um, if you want it back, you have to go have lunch with Ben song. Oh no. Well, and he, I mean, you know how it is in high school. Like there's the popular table. Yeah. And then, you know, there's all the groups and everything. And if you're not popular, you don't go sit at the popular table. Right. But Ben's nice to her despite her lack of popularity because yes. he is the main love interest and therefore has uh no character flaws, right? Ben well, I mean he's got flaws, which which is good, but um, he is the nice one in that popular group. Of course, that's because um, he's the leader of the pack. Like. But one of his flaws is that he kind of just lets his friends do whatever. Like he doesn't okay. really, he's not like the heroic type that's going to come stand up for all the so, unpopular So his kids. good qualities are that he's a really good guy and his bad qualities are that he could still be a little bit better. Like. Yeah, sure. And that's Whatever. fine. No, anyway, no, so... Pause real quick, because the reason... something You mentioned something that made me want to bring this up, because like I said, uh, Crystal's a big fan of K-dramas. Yes. I assume with his name oh, being Ben Song, like he's, he's Korean. He's Korean. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So and this I is think, kind of following a lot of the story beats of what I understand K-dramas are yeah. like, that they're that they're very sweet, not that they're not that they're shallow, but that they focus on, on good things. Oh, okay. You know? I... May my sister Mayla loves them. I I don't I, think I've actually seen any. I would assume that where she lives, they just call them dramas, right? <laughs> I mean, she calls them K dramas, but you know she's American, so maybe that's why I don't know. Mayla lives in Korea. Yeah, she's in so Korea. Been there for geez, what six years six, now? Six years, yeah. Um. Anyway, so um, 
Abby decides that uh, she has to go uh, sit at Ben's table. She has to go have lunch with Ben so that she can get her journal back. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I won't give any more away because the book is so fun to read. I mean, you get it and it looks thick, but I read it in like two days. Yeah, I was surprised when I when the copy showed up and this thing was like an inch and a half thick. I was like, what is this? Like a Brandon Sanderson romance? And <laughs> No, it was it's it's big and the the type is not you know huge, but it's not uh-huh. small either. And there were some decent it's, margins on it, so it's its size is kind of deceptive. It might be it a five hundred pager, but it's not going to kill you. It reads fast, very fast. Seriously, I I think it took me two days. Um, anyway, so there was a power outage, so I was like reading by headlamp, <laughs> but I had nothing else to do, so it was really awesome, and I got to read for quite a few hours. <laughs> We we are we are in support of power outages here at the No, uh, no we are not. No. Brother Trucker Book Club Command Center and <laughs> Resort Day Spa. No. No? No. Oh, okay. Never it was mind. just nice because I got to read. <laughs> anyway, so um yeah. So she goes and and has lunch. She has like the most brief lunch that she can. I don't think she really even talks to anybody at the table. But um what I love about this book, I'm not really into teen dramas anymore, YA, like, you know, I, I loved it through most of my twenties, but for some reason, like I, maybe I've just gotten old enough that I've started moving away from that kind of stuff. I don't know. But this one was so witty and clever. I, um, I laugh out loud occasionally at books, but this one, like multiple times throughout the book, I was laughing out loud. It's so fun to read. And that is a rare quality in in just about any piece of, of fast moving fiction is you you want the story to go and you also want to really enjoy yourself along the way mm-hmm. i um a couple of episodes ago in the mailbag uh, case had written in and asked what i thought about stephanie meyer going back to the well again on <laughs> on uh twilight oh yes you and i've talked about that yeah we talked about that just this week because you know i'm listening to the 372 pages we'll never get back podcast and they're they're reading that book right now the the most recent one and somebody pointed out there that no this is her third take on this story because she wrote twilight in 05 and then 10 years later she came out with a gender bent twilight and now Which i had no idea about yeah i i was just going to dismiss it but uh one of my friends had read it and said it was good and i was like okay i got in line in line for it at the library and I, like i said i'm i'm listening to it right now at work and uh i'm i'm equal parts intrigued and kind of annoyed cuz i'm like this actually works better the other way around but all <laughs> these characters are still just idiots and I I might just skip to the end. Like there there's certain things like you wonder how it works. Like in the first book, Edward saves Bella from a bunch of scumbag guys that are going to beat her up or something. And I'm like, okay, would they just do exactly the opposite of this, or how was how is you know the hot female vampire going to save the vulnerable male human from a gang? And and she she puts enough twists on the stories where like the story is the same. It's just okay, like. Y- you see some intriguing things along the way, but you're also like, why? <laughs> At the same time. Because Twilight made a ton of money. It, because why. money. That's exactly why. And Stephanie Meyer can do whatever she wants and we should all be so fortunate as creators. Yeah, so, true, yeah. you know, but that's, you know, going back to Crystal's book, that's one thing that 
you know, I'm really looking forward to about reading it. I've just like an idiot gone and checked out six different books from the library right now that yes, this one is an excellent teen drama. Yeah. Which is uh, rare enough in and of itself. A lot of what you described made me think of uh, P.S. I Like You by Casey West. Um, yeah, it's got a similar feel. There, there's some secret journal back and forth, but, um, you know, that's with the the uh, somewhat lower end of middle class girl ends up, you know, finding out that the jerk jock is actually a sweet soul. But, yeah, you know, that, that one was... Uh, I imagine that the conclusion was very different. Um, I'm sure once I read the end of First Get Caught, I'll see the uh, the differences and whatnot. But it sounded like this was a really good one. And Shara gave it her highest glowing praise, which is to say that she said it was really good and she liked it. You always make fun of me for saying that. <laughs> well, in a sense, I'm making fun good. of myself because whenever I praise something, like I'm all verbose and pedantic and like debloviating. And you're just like, no, this was good. I liked it. Like, Really, what else do you need to say? If you liked it, you liked it. <laughs> so, I mean, it gets the point across because I don't think you've ever recommended a book to me that you liked that I didn't like. Like any anything you're like, oh, you Maybe. should read this. And, and I read it and I was like, no, yeah, she's right. I should. I should have read this. This was good. Maybe Edenbrook. But I, I knew that wasn't really your style. I, I couldn't get into that. Like. I was enjoying the part. Wasn't there like some Victorian lady? Like, she was wearing a dress or something. Like she slid down a hill or something by accident. Yeah, that, I, that it, was I I was amused at that part, and then I got about a third of the way through the book. I'm like, yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> which which when that happens, it's not a fault of the book. It's just that no book is going to be all things to all men. Yeah, you know, it it doesn't work that way, and. And I knew that Regency wasn't really going to be your thing. Yeah, it, so. I mean, and, and this is coming from a guy who reads plenty of romance. You know, I, I do, but I I think the era doesn't interest me. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, it, the, it's the era. It's the yeah. setting more than setting. anything else. So anyway, We are getting way off topic. Yeah, so first get caught. That was a good book. You liked yes. it? <laughs> it was an excellent book. Excellent. Totally five stars. All right, so five stars, Crystal. That's Witty, from Shara. hilarious. Yeah. All right, so uh, what was the other one we were going to talk about? This was one that uh, I think I took a swing at reading this one years ago, and to be honest, I don't remember much about it. I remember did thinking, you finish it? I, I, I finished it. Okay. I remember thinking, like, overall, yeah, the story's strong. I just didn't get that uh, that hyped on it. But when I worked at Deseret Book about 10 years back, this was a, a book that came in regularly, and we sold it regularly, and we sold the others in the series regularly. I, I was I was pretty consistently restocking the shelves with copies of this, and that is Goose Girl by Shannon Hale. Mm-hmm. Shara, what the heck is Goose Girl? What's it about? Well, it's uh, based on the um, fairy tale from um, the Grimm fairy tales, and uh, of the same name, the Goose Girl. Um, but of course it's a fairy tale retelling. So there's all kinds of, you know, additional details in Shannon Hale's version. Um, I loved the book when I read it. I read the entire series. It has been, uh, years since I read it. Um, but I, I love fairy tale retellings. I've probably read most of the ones that are out there. <laughs> Not all of them are good. This one is very good, though. I 
love Shannon Hill's I, writing. I got one that was like a free ebook. This was written by you know some other author. You know, she's she's done like a, a series of these fairy tale retailings, mm-hmm. and uh, the the cover stood out to me because it at first like at a, at a first glance it looked like it was Lindsay Sterling playing the violin, oh. like in one of her steampunk getups or something. And and no, it was uh, it was a Pinocchio type character huh. you know, kind of made to look like a you know like a wooden puppet but playing you know the violin and it was i don't remember the title or the author right now but the tagline was what if pinocchio was a girl i'm like all right what else <laughs> <laughs> is there a twist to the story or is it just like haha pinocchio <laughs> right okay um is is there literally anything else different about this story or what <laughs> Which I assume so because violin, but mm. you know, so fairy tale retellings they can the retelling stands or falls on on the strength of its concept. Like, what you know, yeah. what's the twist in this? Who cares? Yeah, you know, like what if we were to tell a retelling of I don't know Beauty and the Beast, but it was from the viewpoint of the uh, Savage Woodsman character, for example, and we cared about his feelings more than you know the the plain village girl like somebody should write that book gaston is totally your favorite which he's, i think is hilarious <laughs> just sweet gaston yes anyway so um, goose girl and others goose in the girl, series. yes um but something i really like about shannon hale is her writing um she's a really good writer she's I, written a couple of uh i'm always hesitant to call them adult romances because that conjures completely the wrong <laughs> But, she, you know, Goose Girl is she, geared towards a younger audience, but is, she's also yeah. written romances. Um, yeah, she's written um, Austin Land. Yeah. That's an adult one. Um, she's also done some other, like, YA middle grade, uh, The Princess Academy. Yeah, that um, was another one that sold like hotcakes, yeah. especially in paperback. And we actually read one for book club. Oddly enough, like, I found this very strange. I can't remember the title right now, but it was a... It was about a Mormon housewife, and she ends up having a best friend who's a guy, which I thought was very strange. And um, he's some, like, wealthy – I think he might be a celebrity. I vaguely remember you telling me about this one. Yeah. I didn't like the concept of the book at all because it rode the line of um, having an affair. Oh, yeah. They never did, but, but it rode that line. And, like you're getting um, your guard up reading it. It's like, yeah. What's going to happen next? Yeah. But like I cried in that book. I laughed out loud in that book. Like her writing is really good. Yeah. And that's something that I've heard from, you know, pretty much anybody who's uh, a fan of hers or an avid reader of hers is, mm-hmm. is that it's not just like, oh, this plot, this concept. It's like you, the, the writing pulls you in and that's a, yeah. a strength and a skill unto itself. Mm-hmm. With the Goose Girl books, like part of what made me want to get into them, like aside from having you know curiosity at their popularity mm-hmm. and all that, um, it was one of those series that in hardcover they did the covers one way, but in the in the less expensive paperbacks they they kind of oh yeah they're different dressed them up a oh, little I bit. About so that. yeah, I remember like the the cover for Goose Girl. It's got this like almost impressionist type painting of like a countryside or something, mm-hmm. but. Once they started releasing them in paperback, they got these, you know, models to be right. like, okay, here's a blonde girl on this cover. And so when they came in in paperback, I remember sorting through like a, the new stock that came in so I could put it on the shelf. There's there's four books in the series. Mm-hmm. 
And there's there was Goose Girl. I was like, okay, there's Blonde Girl on that one, and then River Secrets, mm-hmm. and Forest Born, and Ina Burning, and Ina Burning, and when that one popped up, like the whole cover was fire, except for like this really like smoldery looking brunette <laughs> on the cover with like her hair down. And I was like, Whoa, hang on a second. I'm really interested in this book now. <laughs> I was are. still single when, <laughs> when I was working at the bookstore. I was like, uh, I want to know more about this brunette for, for the story for sure. <laughs> anyway, but back to goose girl. Um, so, um, uh, I think it's Ari. Uh, obviously I read this in print. I didn't listen to it, so I don't remember how to pronounce names, and I don't remember all the characters' <laughs> names. It's so bad with names. You know, I remember people's names really good, but, like, character names, it's terrible. Anyway. Well, it's good so, that you care more about real people than fake ones. There's well, some that's people that true. have that completely opposite, and that's a problem. <laughs> anyway, so um, she's a princess, and, um, the, you know, the neighboring kingdom... Um, she's betrothed to their prince so that the kingdoms can be united. And um, she, her aunt helps her discover, like from when she's really young, that she has the power to um, communicate with animals. And I can't remember. I don't think, I don't know that she actually like speaks to them. I think it's more like in her mind. She communicates with them. Oh, okay. Um, so you can't just like hear a goose cussing at her all the time. Right. I hear the geese are just mean animals. <laughs> anyway, so um, she has a really special bond with her horse. And um, so anyway, uh, she travels with her lady-in-waiting. And they go to uh, this other kingdom to meet the prince. And, you know, to eventually... she. For her to eventually get da, married da, da, da. to him. Yes. Yeah. And um, on the journey there, her lady-in-waiting betrays her and has some loyal guards. And there's a fight. And they try to kill. Okay, I remember that. They try to kill yeah. the princess. And she escapes. And she's wandering around in the woods for a few days. And finally decides to disguise herself and go into the town um, where her lady-in-waiting is pretending to be her. And she summons up and an army of savage woodland creatures and goes no, on. No, no, no. That would end the book too soon. That's how I would write it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Wolverines, badgers, short. bears, sharpen thy claws. <laughs> okay, so um, she gets a job tending the geese, and which, you know, is pretty great because she can communicate with the animals. And um, she makes friends with all the other animal tenders and... Uh, makes it sound like chicken tenders no like they're they tend the they're goose tenders so. <laughs> anyway 124 some odd episodes everybody knows that i don't take myself too seriously when it comes to this stuff anyway, so she makes friends with all of them and um she also starts discovering that she has um nature powers along with her ability to communicate with animals uh, mostly she can control wind i think that's the only thing she can control actually can she controls wind she can <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> she can control wind and she starts learning to use her ability and uh see and this is where like i start to forget some of the things that happened but um somehow 
the lady in waiting finds out that um oh and uh Ari is going by a different name. I think I it's hope Ari. So. A R I. Right? Uh, Ari. Sure, yeah, Ari. Anyway. So yeah, she's going by a different name. It's a shortened version of her last name. And but somehow the lady in waiting finds out that she's there and um Ari almost gets killed and has to run away again. Um, but her best friend, Ina, Ina Burning, um, her best friend, Ina, the uh, <laughs> finds her. And Ina's story is actually my favorite, by the way. But anyway, so Ina finds her and promises that um, she's going to help Ari uh, get rid of what's-her-face, the lady in waiting, and, and get back to the prince. Oh, and meanwhile, she's met this, uh, I think he's a soldier, and they start falling in love. Of course. But then um, the soldier, I think he writes her or something like, you know, I can't um, can't meet you anymore. And so they don't see each other for a while. Um, anyway, things happen and um, she she gets back into the palace. I'm totally messing up this story. But basically, she finds out that the soldier is actually the prince. Oh. And yay, they're in love. And um, So everybody's taking on an alternate identity. And, they, and the kingdom's actually being run by a bunch of incompetents that are taken over. And But anyway, they get rid of um, the lady-in-waiting. She does the typical villain thing. and She monologues. Um, oh, yeah, totally monologues <laughs> with the prince hiding behind a curtain. So he hears everything. And he'll never find out the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally totally one of those there's a big battle um they get rid of her does she fall to her um, death no actually like, i'm pretty I'm pretty sure she doesn't die i think she comes back later oh okay but anyway so yeah prince and princess happily ever after yeah so so not exactly like a grim fairy tale where just so much but of random crap a, happens in the third act it's, like it actually no, makes sense it's a, it's a bit more of a fantasy novel okay. like a fantasy version of the goose girl Okay, so does the uh, the foul of vengeance ever happen? Like she just summons up a flock of geese and is like, "All right, we're, let's oh, she ride. totally uses the wind powers that she has in the big battle." So why not call her Wind Girl? Or who would want to be known as Wind Girl? I guess Goose Girl yeah, isn't that much girl. better. <laughs> goose Girl, so great! Oh my gosh, they have teeth on their tongues. They're just so noble. She had to use the Goose Girl because that's the name of the fairy tale. Uh, okay. All right, cool. This kind of reminds me of another book that we read that we really liked, especially in audio, because my man Bronson Pinchot was the narrator. The book is I by Christopher yeah. Healy. It's um, The Hero's Guide to Saving Your Kingdom. Do you remember that one? Oh, I thought you were talking about a different one. Um, Bronson Pinchot, I don't think he narrated The Goose Girl. I think when that one had no, a female no. narrator. Not The Goose Girl. Never mind. Um, Do you remember what that one was about? The Hero's they, Guide to Saving Your Kingdom? Vaguely. So it was, it was funny. It kind of started out, like a, you got to figure that conceptually it started as a joke. How, like in all these fairy tales with female protagonists, like Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping yeah, Beauty. It's the unnamed like princes. Yeah, and it's always Prince Charming was the prince's name. And it's like, yeah, okay, is this the same the prince, prince in every story? Yeah. And so, yeah, the story was focusing on... Yeah, and he gave them all names. It's like, you know, Prince George, Prince William, Prince whatever. Right. 
Right, but it was all the princes charming. Mm-hmm. And so it was the, kind of their backstories and then how they all kind of make their paths crossed and mm-hmm. everything went sideways in there. And uh, I need to read that one again. I that, guess there's, it was a funny one. I guess there's a series of those and I need to, yeah. uh, I need to check those out. So Christopher yeah, Healy. And you've read more than one? I've read more than okay, one, I need, yeah. I need to go dig up another one from the uh, the library then. Um, let's touch on a few more real quick. We can just mention briefly. Uh, I haven't reviewed The Hourglass Door on here, surprisingly oh. enough. If you want a good time travel book, yeah, that is excellent. So this one came out. So well done. Yeah, this one came out like right in the wake, like just as the wave of paranormal YA romance was starting to to like peak and then break. This is one of the best. This is yeah, this is on the on the better side of things. So like, you know, Twilight brought this genre into full marketability. And uh, you know, 2008 was I was going to say like when the last one came out, but she's still milking that cow. So if uh if you want a YA paranormal romance where the main female character actually does awesome stuff. Like, she actually does stuff. She's not just there when stuff happens. This is a really great book. Yeah, like, one of the prevailing criticisms of Twilight is that, you know, Bella is designed to be bland and basic because it's effectively like a role-playing game disguised as a teen romance book. And the idea is for these young teenage girls who are basically just buckets of hormone soup to insert themselves into the story and that way their personality doesn't conflict with the main characters at all and they can you know put themselves in the experience hmm. which you know having that kind of immersive experience is is what makes a lot of books fun you know i loved twilight when it came out yeah i i read it when i was 22 23 because everybody was like oh my gosh i need to read this next book and it's like you know harry potter had just wrapped up everybody was looking for the next big thing and i was like okay cool vampires and i got halfway through the first one i'm like what the hell is this (laughs) why are they sparkly (laughs) (laughs) rapidly losing interest here and then like the baseball game happened and like the the hunt the bad guy started hunting i was like okay where was this for 300 pages like this is what the book should have been right but anyway, anyway, getting back to Hourglass Door, there were there were a bunch of other almost imitators in that genre. Uh, imitators is kind of a strong word. There were others that were that were following on that blazed trail of yeah, you know, well, g- girl meets had, a guy, the guy has a secret, and well, they had to do. I feel like everything like it was vampires with Stephanie Meyer, and then I mean, it was there was April and Pike did fallen fairies, angels fallen and angels, fairies and. I think there was even zombies and mermaids. I mean, like everything. Imagine a zombie romance. Like you go to make out and like part of his lip comes Uh, off in your mouth. No. No. (laughs) Yeah. But um, uh, Lisa Mangum with the hourglass door, she decided like, what if I did sexy Italian time travelers from like 500 years ago? And and, uh, these were guys that were students of Leonardo da Vinci and he invented a time machine and, it catapults this main dude, you know, 500 years into the future and he lands in our time. But it's written from the perspective of uh, the girl's name is also Abby. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, like Shara was saying, though, is she's got many more defined personality traits and characteristics mm-hmm. and stuff. And she's she's a a proactive force in the story. Yeah. You know, she's she's in there making things happen. So. Uh, that was a really exciting one. Um, there's still the like mysterious guy and all that. Oh kind of yeah, stuff, it's, so you know, 
and you know he he's well versed in theater and like a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff that like actual modern day horny seventeen year olds would have no part of. <laughs> It's like that riff tracks of, of Eclipse when it starts open and, and like she's sitting there reading poetry in a meadow and Edward is just like stroking her face and the riff tracks guys are like, okay, note to you teenage girls, your boyfriend will not sit there and listen to you read poetry. It's just not going to happen. Why are we talking so much about Twilight? Because it's, I mean, it's, it's the benchmark of that genre. Well, the, the point is that everybody takes pot shots at Twilight because, you know, it's not that great, but Hourglass Door is great and people should read it. Yes, it's yes. It's got the, uh, you know, the emotional back scratch that you're looking for, but it's also got an interesting story and characters mm-hmm. that, like, you're reading about them and you're like, okay, I actually want to see them succeed, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I felt that same way with with you know with wings by april and pike was i you know, love that series yeah like the the main girl was the uh weirdo is a, a wrong way to put it she's a paranormal creature though yeah and you know the the love triangle of the four book series is you know do i choose the human boy or do i choose the fairy, the fairy boy, boy yeah. and uh you know but there was there was a lot more going on in that story than just like you know 800 total pages of you know, teen romance crap. Like that stuff was definitely there. Yeah. But, you know, she had, you know, stuff in the courts of fairy and, mm-hmm. uh, and all that stuff to, to figure, I mean, the whole book, the all whole kinds f- of adventure. Yeah. Like yeah. the fourth book happened in a single day. It was like this yeah. big final battle. I and I remember really staying up to read that one. Like mm-hmm. I don't do that very often. Um, an hourglass door. I, I burned through the first one in a couple of days. I got an advanced copy when I was working at the bookstore and, you know, they'd hook up the employees with that so we'd know, like, what to tell people about it when they came into the store. Mm-hmm. First two books were like that. The third one was a little bit slower, but, uh, you know, still interesting, still a satisfying conclusion. So check out Hourglass Door by Lisa Mangum. What else do I have on this list? Arithmetist uh, by Brian Oh, yeah. Sanderson. So Arithmetist. Um, speaking of, you know, this but that type books. Uh, his original concept for that one was uh, a muggle goes to Hogwarts. Like, well, I guess it succeeded in that. Yeah, yeah. that's where he got the idea for yeah, it. Yeah. But then he built a whole world out of it. Like the idea, effectively, uh, a school for magical students. But this one student goes that doesn't have magic, and so like, you know, what does he do to excel there? Mm-hmm. Um, it's set in an alternate North America, so. Um, there's a map in the beginning of this one that I remember where it, you know, it looks pretty similar to the United States now, but every state is um, you know, bordered by water. Like it's, oh, right. it, everything's all yeah. shattered apart. And mm-hmm. so all the state boundaries are determined by like, you've got bodies of water running in between you right, and then right. there's you know, big bridges in the middle. And mm-hmm. so Sanderson put a lot of his own self and his, you know, his family self into the story. So, um, I want to say the school is in, they call it Nebraska. It's Nebraska. He's from Nebraska. Oh. And the main character is Joel, who, you know, Sanderson based off of his oldest kid, who, you know, his name is Joel. Oh. Um, I did not know that. But, you know, the idea is that the magic system is based on uh, using chalk. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, drawing. With drawing chalk. with chalk. And, uh, but there's a, there's a murder mystery element to it. Like the book starts with, you know, somebody getting attacked by these little chalk drawings, these two dimensional drawings that move along the wall. And, you know, you can form protective barriers by drawing a circle around yourself, but the efficacy of the circle depends on, uh, you know, how close to perfection it is. And you've got to draw it by hand. Super precise. Yeah. You got to draw it as round as you can. If it's, if it's 
off, like if it's oblong on one side or if it's off, like that's a weakness in it and the uh-huh. chocolates can attack that. Like, you know, he put a lot of thought into the magic system, but he made mm-hmm. it work with the story around it and the characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this one kid who really, really wants to be, um, uh, arithmetist is what yeah. they call it. You know, he, he wants to be good at it. Um, he doesn't have this magical talent and, and like he's tried, he's tried so many times. Yeah, and he's studied and studied and he can draw like all the stuff really well, really precise. Yeah. He, he just can't do the magic side mm-hmm. of it. So he's got a passion for it and he's, and he's excellent at the fundamentals and the theory of it. But you know, all these other kids are coming in that they have the magical talent for it and they just don't take it seriously because whatever. And like, it's super frustrating. Um, so the, the setting was cool. The mystery was cool. I will say that I feel like the first half of the book moved way slower than the second half. Um, I vaguely remember that. One thing that's kind of, kind of a signature of Sanderson's writing is that, um, you know, early on, especially to that halfway point, you'll get a lot of table setting Mm -hmm. and, you know, and some of that includes, you know, character demonstrations of things like you, you get to know the characters Mm -hmm. and you get to know the pieces on the table. And then in the last act, it's just the Sanderson avalanche. (laughs) Like it all comes out on you and you're you're trying to take a sip from the fire hose and it just rips your face off. Like, Holy cow, this is so much cool stuff. And like, Oh, okay. I see why he was mentioning this and whatnot. Like I'd like some of that pacing parsed out a little bit more earlier in, in his books. Um, we, we but, disagree about Sanderson because I will read his table setting all day long. He, he's one of the very few authors that I will read slow stuff like that from him because I like it so much. He's making seven figures a year. So who the heck cares what I think? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he knows his business, obviously. So uh, Arithmetist was great. It's just been seven years since it came out and we're still waiting on the sequel, which I assume will eventually happen. But He's got to uh, take out another forest to, you know, publish his, a next Stormlight Archive book. So yes. he, he's busy knocking trees down for that one. <laughs> um, somehow I've never covered the False Prince either. What? Yeah, I'm, really? I've blogged about it over the years and oh, stuff. Which, you know, throughout true. the course of the uh, the podcast, I've never talked that, about that one. But I'll plug that one real quick. Jennifer Nielsen, Jennifer A. Nielsen. Um, I, I assume she uses her middle initial just because. Uh, her, her name is kind of common, but the false prince is the first book. The second one is the shadow throne, and the th- no, the second one is the runaway king, and the third is the shadow throne. Uh, it's set in what is effectively a, a fantasy world, mm-hmm. but there aren't you know inhuman races and magic systems in any of that. It's no. just like it could be basically like a medieval setting. Um, yeah, it's just all fake countries and whatnot. Main character is a boy named Sage. We we get introduced to him uh, as he's getting picked up at an orphanage by uh, a regent, right? Some, yeah. Some member of, of the court, and yeah. uh, effectively, this this kingdom hasn't had a king for you know over a decade. The royal family died in a shipwreck, mm-hmm. and this guy. What was the name of the dude who was doing it? No, I can't remember. I can't. I can't either. I remember the name of all the main character boys. Like yeah. you know, you've got Sage and Tobias and Rodin and Imogen and all that. I can't remember the name of the regent. Anyway, I didn't even remember Sage. So you know, Connor. Connor was his name. Anyway, oh, was his name Connor. No, Connor was the bad guy. Yeah, one of them. Anyway, oh, okay. he's going to these orphanages and he's picking up all the boys that are a certain age and fit a certain physical description, and he's mm-hmm. going to basically put them in this. Uh, 
like pseudo Game of Thrones fight to the death. He goes, I'm going to turn one of you into a counterfeit version of the missing prince because the royal family all died, but there was one body of theirs that wasn't recovered. It was this, you know, this youngest son. So if I can convince you guys to figure out, you know, how to be him, I can put a puppet throne or puppet king on the throne and then I can rule rule the country. And Mm -hmm. it's told in first person from the viewpoint of Sage. So you're like, well, obviously he's not going to die, but he is, he is a little turd. He's a little smart mouth. He's a little sneaky kid. And you're like, okay, you don't want him to die. And you figure since he's the main character, he won't. But what does happen? And uh, it's a really good, you know, fantasy book in a sense that just doesn't rely on, you know, magic to grab your attention or any of that. It's court intrigue. It's Mm -hmm. will they, won't they? It's all that stuff. And that goes on throughout the entire trilogy. So uh, check out The False Prince by Jennifer A. Nielsen. Wow, we've been talking for forty-five minutes, babe. How about that? Oh my goodness! Didn't you have one more on the list? Uh, yeah, but it was it was more in the vein of what I've been reading recently. Oh. Uh, so I just finished one late last week, early this week, called Operation Nemesis. That would be a really cool sci-fi title, but it is a nonfiction about the uh, Armenian genocide that happened just over a hundred years ago. Um. I will say, you know, just check this one out. It's a it's a very significant, very important nonfiction. Um, my grandma moved out of her house in Burbank about three years ago. And uh, one thing I remember hearing for the last several years before she moved out was just that uh, a lot of houses in Southern California and in the nicer parts of Southern California were getting bought up by Armenians. And I was like, what the heck is an Armenian? And she goes, yeah, they're, you know, from the the Near East, you know, not really quite the Middle East, but, you know, near Turkey and all that. And I was like, okay, I'd heard of Armenians. I'd heard of such thing as the Armenian genocide. I didn't know what it entailed. I remember seeing highway markers on different parts of the interstates in Southern California. Like, you know, it'll say like this mile is dedicated to veterans or whatever. And there was, I remember seeing one sign that said like this was dedicated to the 1.5 million victims of the Armenian genocide. Wow. Well, if you want to know what it is, what the genocide is, how it came to be, who, who uh, orchestrated it and carried it out, you know, read Operation Nemesis because it gives a history of that region of the world. I mean, going back thousands of years, uh, you know, because of this conflict between all of the, the different, different nations there. Um, you know, has its roots deep, deep, deep in uh, conflicts between Muslims and Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking like probably even, you know, pre-Crusade times. And, uh, you know, early 20th century ideals of, you know, what a nation is, what nationalism is, you know, came into play. And as the the Turks were consolidating power in their area, they were starting to uh, stamp out, undesirables and that included you know armenians and azerbaijanis and and others and uh you know throughout the this process of you know cleansing and redefining the area and whatnot they killed a million and a half armenians the book then focuses on the plot to avenge the genocide um some some young nationals who had survived the war then got together with a shoestring budget and very little intelligence. And I mean that in the sense of like information, not, you know, brain cells to rub together. <laughs> they found the uh, the Turkish higher-ups, the officers, the officials, diplomats, politicians, and whatnot, and found that a bunch of them were hiding in the United States after World War One. And this one guy whose name was, uh, I can't ever remember these Armenian names there because they're, uh, they're always a mouthful. 
um, Ted Larian was his name. Uh, he went to America and he, you know, bided his time and found out where these people were. And one of them, like he went and just straight up gunned this dude down in broad daylight in front of a ton of witnesses and intentionally got himself caught so that he could be put on trial. And once he was on trial, he was going to say exactly why he had done this to get word of the Armenian genocide out there because it had been quashed by international media Mm. like so many people didn't even know that it happened and Mm -hmm. here i am a hundred years later like yeah i'd I'd heard of it but i hadn't really you know we didn't talk about it we don't talk about that the way that we talk about you know the jewish holocaust Mm -hmm. in world war ii but it was on a massive scale and you know the 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 effects of it were still felt generations later the author was a guy named um rob borgosian and basically anytime you see a name that ends with IAN or YAN. It it tends to be an Armenian name. Like they're Kardashians, they're Armenians. Oh, you know, for example. Gotcha. Um he's like, you know, I'm I'm, you know, American by birth, by culture, by everything, but you know, my my grandparents were Armenians. You know, he remembers his grandparents, like his grandfather, who survived the genocide at a very young age, telling him, he goes, If you ever meet a Turk, kill him. Like he still had this idea of like, if you, if you meet a Turk, just kill him. Like you don't have to ask he's Turkish. You kill him. He dies. Like that was his, his mentality towards the Turks. And, and, uh, you know, he talks about modern attitudes today in Turkey towards Armenia. I guess like it's the official story of the Turkish government that no, this genocide never happened. Shut the heck up. Hmm. And they, they don't acknowledge Armenia as a nation state, like official maps in Turkey just show this blank spot on the map with no name over the country where Armenia is. It's like, holy crap. And, and yeah, we, you know, our, our history books don't cover this a whole lot. So if you're looking for, you know, a concise read to get all of like the overview of this all in one spot. Yeah. Check out operation nemesis by Rob Borgosian. As for what I'm reading now, um, like I said, I got a bunch of print books that I, I came in from the library at one time. Uh, I'm reading a Gary Paulson book called Winter Dance. It's one of his non-fictions about how he got into dog sled racing, um, how he got into training for the Iditarod. He is, like I classify him as a natural philosopher in the sense that uh, all of his philosophy and his worldview is derived from actually having lived out in nature. Yeah. being subject to it and all that stuff. And like, you know, you, you listened to Woodsong a couple of years I ago. really liked Woodsong, yeah. Yeah, when we were coming back from from Yellowstone, like his, his reasoning for why he doesn't eat meat, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'll make fun of vegans all day long, right? But, you know, when he explains like how he came to that, like what his lived experiences were and, and why he and his wife made that decision, I'm like, you know, I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. I still love me some beef. I love eating steaks and bacon and all that stuff. But if I had gone through what he had, I don't know that I would feel the same way. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, he's able to, to take these worldviews of his, which, which are very, you know, plain and straightforward and, you know, defensible based on the things that he's lived and present them in such a way that it's not just like, okay, you're not just trying to sell me some crap bill of goods. Like you've gone out and done things and I can learn from what you've done. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love his writing and and I love the things that he has to say. I also love the fact that I don't have to actually go and like die in the snow somewhere 
to experience, you know, what, you know, not that I'm, not that I would call it experience by having read it, but if I read his words, it's like, okay, I can learn some of the things you learned from this without having to do it and like almost die. Yeah. That's um, the whole point of a book. Yeah. So I'm reading that one. I've also got one. I don't remember the title of it. It's about Deborah Sampson. She was a, a woman that, um, kind of pulled a Mulan during the American revolution. She disguised mm-hmm. herself as a man, but she got injured in Terrytown. And uh, the surgeon was like, hold up. These are boobs. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, pop quiz. Where is Terrytown? No idea. It is just south of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, if, that's why I recognize the name. Yeah. Dutchtown. And then I'm, uh, I'm finishing up another nonfiction by Peter Kemp called. Who reads so many books at one time? <laughs> I don't. I shouldn't do it. I. <laughs> I took all of the uh, two read books off of my Goodreads list because I got tired of looking at it and thinking like, I got to read 30 books to finish this. And I'm just going to add more books to it later. Like it was giving me a mania. I felt like I had to keep like just <laughs> plowing through books. And so I took, the, I took all those off and I'm just going to read whatever now, but uh, I'm reading. Good feeling. Free. Yeah. Freedom. I, I'm, I'm kind of breaking free of Goodreads. Like I, I'm not going to put everything I read on there. But uh, Mine Were of Trouble by Peter Kemp. And the reason I mentioned this one is um, there's this small press that I found called Mystery Grove Publishing that uh, they specialize in out-of-print books, uh, especially like the earlier editions of them, which haven't been you know, edited and taken apart and censored. So mm-hmm. uh, I've gotten a couple of theirs. Mine Were of Trouble is... A nonfiction account of a of an Englishman who went to Spain in the 1930s to join the nationalists during Spain's civil war. You were telling me about that. Yeah, and you know, having lived in Spain, I heard a lot about that civil war because it was only about 30 years old when, I, or excuse me, it was only about 70 years old when I was there. And uh, I didn't understand, you know, the whole nature of the conflict. I wasn't really there to learn about it. But basically, it came down to the nationalist Spaniards versus the uh, they called themselves Republicans, but they were um, Soviet-backed communists that had taken over the Spanish government. So the Spanish military was like, all right, we are done putting a stop to this. Like, no, no, the people voted for us. It's like the people voted for a communist government influenced by the outside. Like you want to talk Russian collusion? Like this is literal Russian collusion here. And so <laughs> that's what kicked off the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. And Peter Kemp fought with the Recates, with the uh, the nationalists and – you know, made it through the war and, and, uh, I find it a fascinating account so far. Um, they've also published a, a book called the storm of steel by Ernst Jünger, who, uh, he was, I guess he was a soldier for Germany in world war one in Trent did trench warfare and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess a lot of current translations of that book leave out, or, you know, intentionally like censor or omit a lot of his accounts hmm. of the war. Um, you know, not that he was like, you know, pro Kaiser or, or anything excessively like that. It's just, you know, if I'm going to read a journal of a guy who participated in trench warfare on the losing side, like I'd like to get it, you know, unfettered. I, I, I want to like actually read what this guy had to say about it. So mm-hmm. going to read that one eventually, but we're getting into the spooky months and uh, we're in the spooky month now. Yeah. Time to read some some spooky books. I really wish I could find another Courtney Crumrin type series to get into. That was a ton of fun. But what are you reading right now, babe? Uh, I do not have a list as long as yours or as interesting as yours. Um, But I'm reading a a compilation of short story Regency romances. 
just needed something light and fun. I've been reading a lot of homeschool books. Um, and then I'm reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to the kids for school. And mm-hmm. they've we've all been enjoying it. It's been a while since I read it, so it's a fun one. Yeah, it's probably been three or four years since I read those too. So, and the boys are liking it. We're reading. Yeah, we just finished uh, The River last night by Gary Paulson. Also yeah. by Paulson. Now we're reading Harry Potter. So, even though this show is going to end, and this is the first time I've ever had a segment go this long, and the the app is yelling at me that. It can't go longer than 60 minutes on one segment. <laughs> Never, ever recorded a segment that long. Even though the show is going to end, obviously we at House Bradley are not going to stop reading. Oh, no. I don't think that train will ever stop. Nope. And you, dear listeners, should not stop reading either. And, and in your list of things that you will not stop reading, I highly recommend that you check out the Dread Pennies Adventure Hour podcast, especially if you like the sound of my voice. Because it's pretty much all you're going to hear there. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's just cute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you think I'm cute. That's why I keep you around. <laughs> Maybe it's why you keep me around too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. So I, keeping this podcast going, like I said, would just be one thing too many. And I think I just want to focus on on what I really, really want to do. And that is sharing my own stories, you know, after 120, 150 plus episodes of this show in the last two years, you got a pretty good idea of what my likes are and and what I recommend to you and what I would then turn around and write. So whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, look up the Dread Pennies Adventure Hour because this coming Monday, October 5th, 2020, the first episode of the first Dread Pennies Adventure goes live. Chapters one through four of Sleepless Hollow. It's right. a good book. Yeah. I, read, I got a sneak preview. Yeah. And I read the first three chapters to them last year when I was working in Price. Oh, yes. And now so they're getting, you've gotten a sneak preview too. Yeah. Now they can get the whole thing. Uh, all I ask is that you also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash dreadpennies. See if you could uh, pitch in a few dollars a month there because I will also do some you know behind the scenes recordings talking about the book and you know how it came to be and you know, the different ideas that I weave together into the story, just fun behind the scenes stuff that add extra context to, uh, to how the story is, but that'll do it for now. Uh, sorry that I couldn't get to your guys' mailbag this week. Uh, those of you that wrote in, I was able to, to re- reply with some individual messages. So, uh, if you still want to though, dreadpennies at gmail.com, drop me a line until then you guys know the drill drive safe and I will always see you out there. I'll say bye, babe. Bye. (laughs) Peace.